Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven talk radio that promotes happiness from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights trendsetters and change agents who offer sound emotional fitness tips for improving mental muscle tone and greater well-being. Guest experts include a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who are devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and positive lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. All righty then, let's get to it. Philosopher and physician John Locke once wrote, A sound mind in a sound body is a short but full description of a happy state in this world. He that has these two has little more to wish for, and he that wants either of them will be the better for anything else. Today we're talking about feeding your brain and building your body, 21st century health and fitness. My first guest today is Mark Matson, Ph.D., His work has elucidated how the brain responds adaptively to challenges such as fasting and exercising, as he has used that information to develop novel interventions to promote optimal brain function throughout life. And I also want to say that Dr. Madsen is amongst the most highly cited neuroscientists in the world with an H index of over 200. And our listeners might be wondering what the H index is. In our world over here at Harvesting Happiness, it of course stands for happiness, but it is for the times that his article has been cited, which is in the tops around the world. Dr. Mark Matson, thanks for joining us. It's nice to talk to you, Lisa. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Oh, me too. So talk to me about what made you interested in neuroscience. What drew you to the, the function of the human brain? It was a little circuitous. I started out wanting to be a veterinarian because I was raised on a farm and also trained and raced harness horses, trotters and pacers. And then I didn't get into veterinary medicine school. I decided I wanted to go on and do research. And I started out working on neuroendocrine systems and then got interested specifically in the brain and how it develops, how it functions, particularly with regard to learning and memory. And then I got interested in what goes wrong during aging that leads to Alzheimer's and Parkinson's diseases. 
Well, what's interesting to me is that you started out wanting to be a veterinarian and an interest in the animal world and the habits, the feeding habits of our four-legged friends are much different than our habits as humans. Yes, and this is something we've been working on for the last 20 years now. Just simply the fact that most people in industrialized countries now, they eat three meals a day plus snacks every day. And as you're suggesting, that's actually abnormal when compared to animals in the wild, but also when compared to humans prior to the agricultural revolution and compared to modern day, our current day anyway, hunter-gatherers of which there's still a few populations in the world. They tend to eat intermittently depending on food availability, time of year, and so on. And when you speak about intermittently, you're talking about irregular timing of feeding, right? That it's it's feeding based upon what is available or perhaps fasting at certain periods of time? Yes. And one way to look at this is to think about a predator in the wild. They typically don't kill prey any more than once a week or sometimes even less frequently. And so when they're in that food-deprived or fasted state, their brains and bodies have to function well or they're not going to be able to figure out how to find the prey and how then expend a lot of physical effort to capture and kill the prey. So individuals whose brains and bodies functioned well in the fasted state survived, passed their genes on, and so we're geared actually to functioning well, perhaps optimally, with an intermittent feeding schedule versus consuming food all day long. How does that address when you have, for instance, a peak performance athlete that goes through periods of intaking quite a bit of food and then restricting the food and optimizing their metabolic process and their fat and and how that helps with life extension and disease prevention? Yeah, there's a lot packed into that question. The first part of it is the thinking is changing a lot in the endurance athlete space, if you will. For a long time, the idea was that you would carbohydrate load before an event, and then if it's a really long event, like an ultramarathon or Tour de France, you would take in carbohydrates during the race. But now there's evidence emerging from athletes empirically determining this, but also from controlled studies that it may actually be better to do the whole event while you're in a fasted state so that you're using ketones, you're using fats for energy throughout the entire event, your own fats, rather than having these big swings in glucose and then up and down, and that seems to reduce performance. As far as health throughout life, clearly being overweight your whole life is not good. We all know that. And what we're finding in our human studies with different intermittent fasting regimens, that people who are overweight seem to be able to adapt. It takes several weeks to a month to adapt to an intermittent fasting eating pattern, but people adapt and they can stick with it a long time. Psychologically, it seems much easier to focus on a couple days a week not eating much or each day restricting the time window you eat to say six to eight hours. 
I was going to ask you to elaborate a little bit further on what this intermittent fasting looks like, because I, I think many of our listeners, this is a new concept. We we all know what fasting is and it's, you know, it's, it's nothing, but what you're talking about is not really nothing. Well, the key thing is that your liver is your first energy source and it holds about 700 calories worth and that's glucose essentially. And if you stop eating completely, it takes 10, 12 hours or so to deplete your liver glucose stores. And then what happens is fats are released from your fat cells. They go into the liver and they're converted into what are called ketones or ketone bodies. So that metabolic switch from glucose to ketones, we think, is kind of the key scientifically defined event that's critical for the beneficial effects of what we're calling intermittent fasting. So if you go a full day and eat only 500 calories, that 500 calories is not sufficient to keep your liver energy up. And so you're still going to have that metabolic switch and start using fats and ketones. Interesting. Now, there was a diet many years ago, I think it's still used as quite fashionable, where you are eating a lot of protein and fat, no carbohydrates, and you're putting your body into ketosis, which allows you to drop a lot of weight quickly, but it's not healthy to maintain for long periods of time. Yes. So the ketogenic diets, there's two, two points I make about that. One is most people will go on a ketogenic diet the fats they're taking in are not fish or you know, other health, olive oil necessarily. They may be more atherogenic fats, that is fats that aren't so good for your cardiovascular system, saturated fats. And then the second point is we're finding in our animal studies very clearly that there's much more going on with fasting than just elevation of ketone levels. We're finding and kind of the bottom line is that during the fasting period, it imposes a mild stress on cells throughout your body and brain. And those cells kick into gear mechanisms that help them resist further stress and we think resist many different age-related chronic diseases. This really interests me. We're going to take a break in a minute. And when we come back, I would love to chat in more depth about the relationship between the traditional Western diet and lifestyle in terms of, you know, the the three meals a day plus snacks and a moderate level of exercise versus what your studies have shown in terms of neurodegenerative diseases and psychiatric disorders. That that I think that there's been some evidence that the intermittent fasting can be helpful with a lot of this. Okay, I'll I'll point to one general mechanism, if you will, that is an event occurring in the brain in response to fasting, but also to aerobic exercise that seems to be responsible for beneficial effects on mood and susceptibility to stress. And that is a protein called BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor. After the break, I'll talk in more detail about that. Uh, as you know, it's well established that exercise has an antidepressant effect, and that's mediated through BDNF. And we think that there's a lot of overlap between exercise and intermittent fasting with regards to what's going on in cells in the brain. 
So let's take that break to learn more about the work of Dr. Mark Matson. My best recommendation to anybody listening is to just Google him. Go to Dr. Google and Google Dr. Mark Matson. But I will give you a specific website, which is irp.nih.gov slash pi slash Mark hyphen Matson. And that's M-A-T-T-S-O-N. And that's why I'm saying just Google him, because there's a plethora of of articles and references that are pretty amazing on this this subject matter. And I'm anxious to talk more with you about exercise as being a masterful antidepressant, because I have firsthand knowledge of that. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on, working too much, not working enough, having too many responsibilities, not having enough money, enough time, enough space. The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times, we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we're talking about feeding our brains and building our bodies, 21st century health and fitness. Returning to the conversation with my guest today, Mark Matson, Ph.D., We're talking about a new perspective on health, and really it's about the relationship between intermittent fasting and our optimal healthy lifestyle and perhaps even life enhancement and extension. So Mark, prior to the break, you began talking about a protein, BDNF, and I'd love for you to explain what that is again and its relationship to exercise and depression. BDNF is a protein that was first discovered because its production in the brain is increased when activity, electrochemical activity in nerve cell circuits is increased. So right now, because you and I and our listeners are using neural circuits involved in learning and memory and trying to understand uh, what we're talking about and maintain a conversation, we're right now, at least in a few brain regions, stimulating BDNF production. And then it was shown by knocking out the gene for BDNF in mice, that it's essential for learning and memory. So mice with genetic deficiency in BDNF have major problems learning and remembering things. It was also discovered that 
BDNF is increased in response to multiple antidepressant therapies. Electroconvulsive shock therapy, there's a huge and sustained increase in BDNF, sustained for many weeks, even months. In the case of the most commonly used antidepressant drugs, the so-called serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors, Prozac, Paxil, etc., they also increase BDNF production. And in mice, that, that BDNF production is blocked, the antidepressants no longer have their antidepressant effect. So kind of the bottom line is, oh, and then, as I pointed out before the break, both exercise and intermittent fasting seem to bolster BDNF levels. And we think that's why exercise and intermittent fasting can enhance cognition, learning, and memory, and also improve mood. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was, was going to interject uh, here on something really interesting. I have, my father um, is uh, nearing 80, and he has a history of depression, as we do in our family, and I have um, been challenged by it in the past and found exercise to be the best antidepressant for me personally. But I went with my dad, went to a wedding in New York City, and he really struggles with his mood management. And for five days, I walked this man silly. I mean, he probably walked five or six miles a day and he, his mood improved, his recall, memory recall, his word recall. And he really was in this state of elevation for several days. And then when he came back and resumed his regular routine, he tanked. Yeah, well, you, you can now tell him that the reason is he, there was increased BDNF in his brain when he was walking so much. Yeah. And it's hard to convince clients and patients that they really have so much of their health in their own hands. It's really the willingness to get in there and do the work, right? They'd rather have the prescription than actually move. Yes. Well, one aspect with the intermittent fasting is that people don't realize that it takes, as I mentioned, several weeks or a month to uh, adapt to not eating much or nothing at all a few days a week or going 16, 18 hours every day without eating. But once you're adapted, it's no longer a problem. You no longer have the side effects, which initially are you're hungry, you're irritable, you can't concentrate. And it's very similar to exercise. If you've been sedentary, it takes a while for you to get in shape and start feeling good when you exercise and after, and it's similar with intermittent fasting. It takes a while, because think about it, Lisa, you've, people, if they've gone eating three daily, three meals a day plus snacks every day their whole life, it's a big change if all of a sudden you're not eating much or nothing for an extended time period. Well, I can't even imagine eating three square meals plus the, the snacks. Like that's uh, never been th the way that I consume, but I, I can oh. I can see. I can see how for people that that is very challenging. I like the idea of the intermittent fasting because it also, I think it gives you something to look forward to. You know, you get, you allow yourself yeah. to get in flow with other things, which brings yeah. elevation, actually. Yep, and I agree completely. I would say, though, that it's not a license to eat junk food. No, no. You know, you should still eat a healthy diet, fruits, vegetables, nuts, fish, yogurt, beans, that whole grains, if you eat grains. 
Well, and that was what I was also going to ask you about this intermittent fasting that, you know, when we do eat that the quality of the food is top notch, that you're, we're really going for a high fuel source. Yeah, well, particularly people who do the, you know, each day compressing the time window you eat, say, to six hours. In that case, you're going 18 hours with no food. And so you've got to get all your calories in within six hours. It's very doable, but if you, as long as you spread it out during those six hours, but of course you can't get, for example, comfortably get 2,000 calories in in one sitting. So not with high quality food. No. <laughs> well, yeah, because a lot of the high quality food is high volume too. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah. So have you practiced on yourself? Like, what is your regimen like in terms of balancing exercise with the intermittent fasting, if you're willing to share it? Yeah, I'm happy to. For at least a decade, what I've been doing is don't eat breakfast. I get up early in the morning, go to the lab, get to work. I work through lunchtime and then I work out like mid-afternoon, say two o'clock. And then I eat all my food in about a six-hour time window uh, spread out. And so that works really well for me. I'm very productive that way because, you know, I get in, I, there's no postprandial sleepiness because I'm not eating breakfast or lunch. Some people, including me, get sleepy after eating. The food coma, that translation in lay speak, <laughs> right? Yeah. For real food coma. Right. Uh, and one thing I found, and, and many of the people in the studies I've been involved in, report this too, that drinking tea or coffee during the time and, and the, what I'm doing in the morning really helps a lot and maybe even gives a little better, more boost to your cognition. I have read and heard that caffeine not taken with any food, so that, that tea or coffee taken alone does jumpstart the metabolism and is good like before a workout. Is that tr really true? Maybe a, a subtle effect, but it's not dramatic. But you'll notice what I said. I work out after having fasted for like 18 hours. Yes, I, I heard. And, and that that gives an additional boost to the burning of fats and the elevation of ketones. And we've actually shown that in animal studies where we combine fasting and exercise and measure ketones and look at, interestingly, endurance. Uh, we were talking earlier about exercising on an intermittent fasting regimen, and it turns out in animals where we've controlled things very tightly, if we train them running on a treadmill every day for 45 minutes for two months, if they're on alternate day fasting eating pattern during that time, and their training effect is better, their endurance is better than animals that eat food every day during the training. So just to kind of tie it all together and how that affects our brains as we age and our mental agility and acuity and the ability to stave off, you know, the dreaded Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and some of these other diseases and just general dementia. How do you shift the mindset of a middle-aged person, like many of us listening, to make these adaptations early? They need help. They need uh, cheerleading through some mechanism and ideally like in a family setting or a work setting, 
do it with uh, family members or friends and kind of make it a challenge and a fun thing. There are quite a few companies in the U.S. now, for example, in Silicon Valley, where many employees have switched to intermittent fasting eating pattern and they kind of do it together and enjoy it. So similar to exercise and running groups or biking groups, a lot of people find healthy lifestyle habits much easier to incorporate into their routine if they have friends uh, to do it with. Well, in those environments, though, they also have executive kitchens where their meals are being prepared for them, you know, with within that, you know, that time schedule and with the kinds of foods that are hospitable to that kind of eating pattern. For the average Joe or Jane, I think it really requires some discipline that many of us really are challenged challenged to to acquire. So I'm wondering, are there any, I mean, not any specific platform that you know of, but are there maybe like online groups or meetups or how are people accessing um, the tools in order to practice this? Well, it's a little bit early days, but there are companies that are, they make apps for the cell phone. And actually, I haven't used them, so I don't know exactly how they work and as far as communicating with other people that are also trying intermittent fasting. But there's certain apps. Again, I make an analogy to exercise. Some people have really gotten into, you know, challenging themselves and trying to make certain goals as they get in shape and monitor their distance and so on. So down the road, I see that kind of modern technology-based approach. Another thing is in the physician setting, I see down the road physicians giving specific prescriptions for someone to to adapt over a period of months to changing their eating pattern and then following up through social media. For example, if they're going to eat only 500 calories two days a week on those two days, the doctor's office would be in contact with the person cheerleading them along and try to get them through this critical window, this magic month that seems to be critical for people to adapt. If they can get through a month, many people will come out on the other end having no desire to switch back to their previous eating pattern. Well, I am intrigued. I'm going to personally be investigating more of this for myself for several reasons, just for healthy aging, depression management, I think to release weight. I think not that I'm heavy, but you just you re- naturally release what you don't need through this process is my assumption. It's easy to do, very natural. Yep. And it's novel and it may be the key to not only our longevity but our longevity. To learn more about the work and research of Dr. Mark Matson, Please Google him because there are so many scholarly articles there, but you can also find him at NIH, and I'll give you that website. It's irp.nih.gov slash PI slash Mark hyphen Matson, and that's M-A-T-T-S-O-N. Mark, thanks for joining us. Come back and talk more about this. I want to shed more light on the research that you're doing and how it relates to our minds and our bodies and our healthy and happy aging. Well, it was great to talk with you and keep up the good work uh, informing the public on uh, how to be healthier and happier and the latest information on that. That's my passion. (laughs) Here comes the break. (laughs) 
Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Unwrap your present by signing up for Happiness Headlines, our monthly e-zine at HarvestingHappiness.com. Stay tuned for more after the break. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one, and sometimes we all need support. We all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstance. Sure, things will inevitably happen in our lives that are out of our control. There is only ever one thing that is totally within our control, ourselves. When we have command of ourselves, we are better prepared to handle life and bounce back more quickly when challenges arise. Whether you see the glass as half empty or half full, the glass has the capacity to hold more. You have the capacity to be happier. The tool to harvesting your happiness is within your grasp. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this episode. Why? Because sharing is caring. It's kind, free, legal, available 24-7. And we're talking about feeding our brains and building our bodies. 21st century health and fitness. My next guest is Jillian Gozern. Health and fitness coach Jillian Gertzen wants you to ditch your diet and quit doing workouts you dread. Jillian's got a degree in kinesiology and has over 20 years of health coaching experience. Jillian's personalized lifestyle strategies have helped hundreds of clients redefine what fitness means to them and get lasting results they never dreamed possible. From hating her body at the age of five, it took more than 20 years, an eating disorder, an Iron Man, and becoming a mom to finally uncover the kinder, more compassionate approach to health and fitness that she teaches today. And we are celebrating her book launch. Welcome, Jillian. Well, thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting. Oh, it's a pleasure. And it's going to be great fun. I think that you're on to something about quit doing those workouts that we dread. Right? I cannot emphasize that enough. There should be no sense of dread or working out or exercising is a chore. It's such a gift to be able to move our bodies. And it's truly about tapping into what is it that you actually enjoy and doing that. Let's talk a little bit deeper or more fully about this. You know, many of us are told go to the gym, exercise, Mm -hmm. take a class, lift weights. And many of us also say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to, I don't want to have like feel body shame. I don't want to be in a room with strangers and sweat with people I don't know. But there's so many ways to exercise these beautiful bodies of ours. Absolutely. I think in some ways, the fitness industry, who I'm a very much, obviously, I'm a part of that industry. We've kind of done people a bit of a disservice in terms of leading people to the gym. Because the fitness industry itself is quite new in the grand scheme of things. You know, as our lives became more sedentary, we needed to find ways to more intentionally move our bodies. We used to do things through chores and through just the acts of daily living. And now we need to be a little bit more thoughtful and more intentional about exercise and moving our bodies to stay healthy. And so what has happened is that, you know, the fitness industry has kind of tried to figure out the logistics of how do we really recommend to people what 
what do they need to be doing? And the more obvious thing is to kind of hear some structure around that here is go to the gym, you know, lift weights, do cardio, all these things. But I think we've done a bit of a disservice in terms of putting people into a box and that box doesn't fit for everybody. So the industry is evolving. I'm seeing it when I talk to my colleagues. I'm seeing it when I'm speaking at conferences. We are changing our conversation towards really promoting physical activity at its core and helping people find ways and tapping into that that really work for them. And when we talk about different forms of exercise, I think one of the cool things about like Fitbits and these devices that we can wear and track our movement is that we see that we're getting perhaps more exercise than we even realize. Yes. Yeah. I think, you know, mindfulness is a big piece of this. And this is one of the pieces that I um, advocate is to help people see that become more aware of, of how physically active they are or not. Fitbits and tracking devices are a fantastic way to start to be gaining awareness about how much you're moving or, or perhaps how much you're not moving. And then looking at sneaky little ways to increase your physical activity. Again, tapping into that joy, tapping into what you really like doing as opposed to having it be yet another chore to get so many steps, for example. What many of us don't realize is that most of our smartphones have a little, just built into the phone without even having to download an app, has some kind of health tracker that will keep track of the amount of steps that we take each day. Yes. And because we carry our phones around, you know, whether we like that or not, we carry them around with us at almost all times. So it, you know, it's a very convenient way to do that. There's so many, there's also wrist held ones. I've actually, there's a new one out that my friend was telling me about that you can wear it like a ring. Like there's so many different ways to kind of become aware of tracking your steps. And, you know, if you don't feel like you belong to the exercise club, You should Mm -hmm. belong to the movement club. Everybody needs to move because if we don't move, we lose the ability to do so. We lose our range of motion. Absolutely. It affects mood. It affects our happiness, our well-being. Right? Yes. You know, I think one of the biggest misconceptions that I, I, I aim to clear up in the book is that there's a big distinction between exercise for fitness and physical activity, which is really an objective for health, but not just physical health, but also mental health. So if you don't like to exercise in those traditional ways, you don't like to run or you don't like to go to the gym or you don't like to participate in fitness classes, that's okay. What we're trying to get people to do from a health perspective is simply move our bodies more and get our our hearts pumping, get our breathing rate elevated, and get a little bit of a sweat on. But that can be achieved through so many different ways. And it isn't just through that more intentional exercise. Talk a little bit about your own journey, because I really relate to, you know, part of your story, you know, coming from a background of you know, hating one's own body, um, eating disorder, then becoming super interested in in fitness. Uh, Talk a little bit about how you got from there to here. Yeah, you know, I was quite young when I started to notice that I felt really uncomfortable in my skin. I wasn't the very the most coordinated child. I, you know, was a, a heavier child. And so I struggled in PE, I struggled to move my body, I felt like I couldn't keep up with my peers. But I still tried, I did my best. 
but I had a bit of a contentious relationship with my body growing up that continued through my teens when I struggled with an eating disorder. And it wasn't until I was 19 and some friends exposed me to running for joy and running for my own recreation and running for my own pleasure that I really started to tap into, hey, this movement and fitness thing could actually be pretty fun and on my own terms. And that is kind of when the kind of shift in my conversation started. And then that shift continued through into my my 30s, even after I had my kids having uh, evolving my evolving relationship with my body, and with my relationship with fitness, you know, and there's lots of uh, things that shifted along the way that challenged my kind of ideas and concepts around fitness and what that means to me, you know, from doing an Ironman when I was 21, which, you know, probably started with an intention of like, well, I'm just going to prove it to the world that I am fit, Um, (laughs) but really transformed quite quickly into proving it to myself. You know, I think crossing that line was so much more than I thought it would be about proving to the world. And it was very much about proving to myself that I was strong, that I was capable, that I was fit, and that I could do anything I set my mind to. That success carried me through to kind of my next evolutions of really making peace with my body. You know, as a mom, I think that was a big shift as well. And, and starting to relate to my body in a different way after making two very beautiful humans, it it's not the same body and and giving myself the space and grace to be within that and not feel like I have to get back to what I will what I used to be so it continued evolution through all these different phases of my life well I think you bring up something going back to how that relates to mindfulness or being you know fully aware or present with what is now um, especially after having children, because I am in the same situation as you. I've, I've birthed two beautiful human beings and I've been fit and active most of my adult life. I think I started when I was 16 or 17, but it's not the same as it once was. You know, the body That's parts right. are just not quite where they were. They aren't. And I think one of the biggest conversations I'm having in the book is really around shifting our focus from this aesthetic outcome that we seem to want to seek as a culture and moving it and shifting it towards the desired function. What do you want to do with your body? Uh, yes. I think, you know, there's more lumps. I would say there's more lumps and bumps and stretch marks and saggy skin that I've ever had in my life at this phase in my life. And I'm more comfortable in the skin I'm in than ever before. And that is about self-compassion. That's about mindfulness. That's about acceptance and, and grace and appreciation, like an intense amount of gratitude for what my body can do and a respect for it to keep it healthy, you know, to nourish it with foods that work for my body and with foods that nourish my soul and moving in ways that really works for me. And when we talk about health, fitness and aging, I think Mm -hmm. the other thing that happens to us, and this is my hope and my Mm -hmm. goal, and I hope my hope for everybody listening is that we move away from seeing what the media messaging is of, of fitness or hotness Mm -hmm. into what that feels like really within, from within. Yeah, because there's a when I whenever I do presentations, I talk about, you know, what does it mean to be healthy if you Google uh, healthy woman or healthy man in into the search engine? Uh, what pops up for imagery is all, you know, like 20 to 30 something super lean bodies, very chiseled, very clear delineation of musculature and and 
and primarily Caucasian, which I find very interesting. The image of fitness and health is very, very singular. And I think we need to expand it. We need to create more diversity. We need to understand that health actually doesn't look like anything. It doesn't have an age barrier. It doesn't have demographics. It is about you living in your healthy body and what can you do with your body. We're going to take a break in a minute. And when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Jillian Gertzen about her new book, The Elephant in the Gym, Your Body Positive Guide to Writing Your Own Health and Fitness Story. To learn more about Jillian's work, I'm going to give a bunch of different locations to visit. One is the website, which is www.superu.ca. On Twitter, you will find Jillian at Run With Jill, and that's G-I-L-L. On Facebook, Super U Fit. And on Instagram, Jillian Gertzen. And Gertzen is spelled G-O-E-R-Z-E-N. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that's a promise. Who says money can't buy happiness? Check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life. And other fun, fashionable, and inspiring items at shophappy at harvestinghappiness.com. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space. The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to the show. If you're just joining us now, we're talking about feeding our brains and building our bodies, 21st century health and fitness with my guest today, Jillian Gozern. Jillian, before the break, you talked a little bit about your personal story and about the fitness industry being broken and mm -hmm. really reassessing and reestablishing what a good self-care regime is for physical fitness. Let's mm -hmm. talk about that. Talk about your no gym required mm -hmm. philosophy. Yeah, I think that we've kind of gotten stuck in this kind of idea. And I hear from clients all the time, like, oh, I should really get back to the gym. And I'm like, I can hear the discontent. I can hear the dread in that statement. And I think we need to redefine how we relate to our fitness. There are so many different ways to be healthy and fit. You don't have to go to a traditional gym. You don't have to do gym type activities at home. You know, figuring out what it is that you really enjoy. And sometimes that's looking back at your history. Like, when did I really love moving my body? Was it when I was 10 and I was playing capturing the flag. 
cool. Maybe there's some element of that, that social running, playful element that you could incorporate as an adult, maybe joining an adult league or, you know, gathering a group of friends and going to the park or playing with your kids. Wonderful ways to move your body that have no gym requirement at all and no cost in many cases as well. You know, whether that's being in the water, maybe you really loved being in the water, maybe that starts to excite you now. You know, recently I was asked to be part of a an adventure racing team, which involves kayaking, mountain biking, and running. And that inspired me to get back on my mountain bike. And it turns out I really love mountain biking. So being open to inspiration, being open to kind of trying new things and stepping out of the box and stepping into kind of what could be possible. I really like what you're saying. The other thing is dancing. You know, a lot of us danced a lot when we were younger and we sort of gave up on dancing as life got busy. That's another great physical activity, a way to reconnect with your partner or if you don't have a partner, find one. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like whether you're joining a class or a fitness style class that has dance elements to it or going to your local hip hop studio and joining a drop in class there. Or I often tell my clients, you need a 10 minute activity break, go turn on your favorite music and have a living room dance party. And also bonus, if you have kids or a partner, you can involve them in that. And how fun is that? Yes, that is a great one. And one that we do in our family. Love it. We all love music. <laughs> so we will occasionally just sort of put it on loud and bust a move. And, I, and right? it's it's very joyful. And you know, yeah. it, you, you laugh, you get fit, you burn off dinner. It's all good. <laughs> right? It's a it's a win, win, win. <laughs> it's a win, 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 win. Um, yeah. What about walking our animals? That's another one we don't yes. think of. You know, I, I got hot under the collar not that long ago because someone in the fitness world had posted, uh, that's in my circles, had posted that walking the dog isn't exercise. And I and I called them on it. And I said, it absolutely is exercise. We need to redefine this. You know, if you're taking your dog out for a walk, not only does that become a wonderful built-in accountability partner because they start to expect that you're taking them out, it's wonderful exercise. So walking your dog, you know, or just getting out for it with a friend for a walk, if you don't have an animal is a wonderful way to with that's very accessible, you don't need all any special equipment. And it's, you know, you can literally step out your door and go for a walk. You know, another one pops into my mind are the old lady carts, you know, that so if you live in in a walking neighborhood, you could take out your old lady cart, like, you know, the ones I'm thinking of, they usually have a a uh, brightly colored fabric pattern yeah, to them. I'm like, old lady, I wasn't following you yeah, for yeah, a second. Yeah. I totally know what you're talking about now. And, and go to the grocery store with your yes. old lady card. I think, <laughs> I love it. I think, you know, walking um, active transportation is a wonderful way, whether that's riding a bike, whether that's walking to run your errands. And again, yes. wonderful way to incorporate at all ages, something you can do as you age, being in a walkable community is a fabulous way to stay active, stay healthy and stay mobile as we're aging. Let's talk a little bit about the shift in the weight conversation. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because it's no longer about the LBs. Mm, Yeah. So, you know, I think we've been pretty attached to the number on the scale for a very long time. I personally advocate for getting rid of your scale, especially if you have a contentious relationship with it. So the example I always give is, you know, you've been living a healthy lifestyle, you've been making some great choices. And so you decide to step on that 
hunk of metal. (laughs) And immediately you feel either elated, excited by what you see, or you feel sad or disappointed. And it changes the shape of your day. That's when if you have either of those reactions to the scale, I think we need to kind of distance ourselves from it. Because what we're learning more than ever in as we're evolving as an industry is that the number on the scale has relatively little to do with our overall health. That's not to say it isn't part of the picture. It's an element. And I think we have put too much emphasis on it. I would way rather see a client talking to their doctor about other metrics like blood pressure, like blood glucose levels, like overall health and well-being. How is your mental health? How are you feeling? Are you feeling vital? Are you feeling alive? Do you have the energy you need to live your life? Those are much more important metrics in the big picture in, in my opinion. Uh, and I think most in the medical community would agree as with that. I think so too. I mean, I gave up the scale uh, many, many years ago. I just, because I don't have a nice relationship with it. So I just decided to get rid of it. Good and, for you. And I go by, you know, how are my clothes fitting? How am I feeling? You know? Absolutely. You know, I think we need to reconnect back to how am I feeling in my body? Yeah. And you know, how do my habits make my body feel, you know, noticing, you know, when I eat or overindulge in lots of sugary treats or lots of less healthy fat treats, how does that make my body feel? Does that give me energy and vitality? Or does that make me feel draggy and slow and yucky? I think that noticing how we feel when we move and don't move and how we eat and how much sleep we're getting. We haven't really tapped into that piece of the health equation. That's so important. You know, there's this, you know, drive, 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 be busy, be busy, be busy, do it all. But you know, are we sacrificing sleep? And I think that's a big piece of this equation as well. You know, it's funny you mentioned that the other day I was having a conversation with a colleague who said to me, if we are not mentioning sleep as part of our practice, we are doing a disservice to our clients. And I agree with that. I agree wholeheartedly. I have a whole chapter devoted to sleep because it's a really important piece of the health puzzle, especially as it relates to a healthy weight. Um, There's some very interesting research and science around how our bodies, our hormonal balance is when we're underslept, when we're not getting enough rest. It's really, really essential. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I am aware of that study. And basically, it's like, if you want to lose weight, be sure you're getting good sleep and the reasons why. Yeah, absolutely. So when we are underslept, we are putting our bodies under stress, chronic stress. And when we are under chronic stress, the hormonal changes that happen is that we see an increase in, oh, I'm going to get these backwards. It's ghrelin and leptin. And in this moment, I'm going to switch them up. But ghrelin and leptin are really intertwined in terms of our hunger and anxiety. So your hunger uh, cues and also your satisfaction cues. So six hours or less of shut-eye bumps production of ghrelin and limits leptin. So increase ghrelin, decrease leptin. So we want leptin. We do. We want the leptin. We want leptin. We don't so much want the ghrelin. The ghrelin, the gremlin, the bad guy the hunger hormone. Okay, got it. My brain. <laughs> yeah. No, no, this is good. So we, the, the idea that, that we do want leptin, good sleep helps us have more leptin in our bodies. And the other thing that um, I'm also learning about all of this is that we don't want to go to sleep hungry. You don't want to go to sleep over full and you don't want to go to sleep hungry either. Yeah, absolutely. If you go to sleep hungry, how well are you possibly going to sleep? Can your body focus on the, the task of being 
restful. Fascinating. So yes, want to be fit? Get good sleep. Want to lose weight? Get good sleep. And, you know, this brings us back full circle to the conversation of, you know, redefining what health and fitness is, which your book, The Elephant in the Gym, Your Body Positive Guide to Writing Your Own Health and Fitness Story, is so helpful in uh, allowing us to really see that we can approach this differently, that it's a a mental makeover before the physical kicks in. Yes. Absolutely. That, you know, the first, I would say the first half of the book is really talking about the, the mindset of creating a healthy lifestyle, really reframing, how are we even looking at this conversation of health? And how are we setting ourselves up for success on our own terms, redefining health in our own way, looking at the whole big picture, not just hitting the gym, but how are we taking care of our bodies? How are we taking care of our minds? How are we taking care of our spirits? How are we looking at that whole big picture? And then really looking at how can we do that? How can we build the habits and routines into our life in a really kind and compassionate way that is really functional as well? We're all tremendously busy. How are we squeezing this element, this ever so important element into our lives in a way that works and doesn't make us feel like we're, you know, on the wagon, off the wagon, on the wagon, off the wagon. The consistency, right? Like being being able to be consistent with it. Absolutely. I would, that's one of the big takeaways I hope people get from the book is that it doesn't really matter what you do as long as you do it consistently. So those small, you know, sustainable habits are going to have way more impact on your health than that one grand gesture a week. You know, if you're hitting the gym once a week for an hour plus, that's great. But what would it look like if you moved your body for 10 to 20 minutes per day? The research would actually point to that more consistent, regular effort of moving your body regularly actually has a greater impact on your overall health. Maybe not fitness, but definitely health. So really what I hear you saying is that your approach in the book and in your life and when you work with clients is to get people to love to move again. Yes, absolutely. Love to move and love to take care of, you know, eating foods that really inspire them that, you know, healthy eating doesn't have to be eating steamed broccoli and broiled chicken breasts, that we can, you know, really expand what does healthy eating mean for me and understanding that over the course of our lives, that's going to evolve. Just like my own experience of, you know, my, my relationship with my body has evolved from the time I was a teen struggling with a healthy eating relationship to the time, you know, now in my 40s, what does health look like for me now? It's a different conversation. And yeah. that's okay, too. And I don't have to go back to when I was training for Ironman, because that was a different phase of my life. Yeah. And I'm not less healthy and fit now. I, I, it's just different. And that's great. And, you know, I would support that this allows us to love ourselves more fully. If, if, if we do this, what you're suggesting, which is not hard, it's a practice yeah. that um, we then really have this aspect of self-love and self-care that not only provides good health today, but also paves the way for healthy aging and, and longevity. Absolutely. A big piece of the conversation is really self-compassion and kindness. How can we treat ourselves and our bodies with self-compassion and kindness uh, through the evolutions of our life? Uh, And 
that has huge implications, not just in our health, but in our lives more fully. You know, when we're being kind and compassionate to ourselves, that translates into our work life, that translates into our relationships with other people. And I see it with my clients all the time. It's not just that shift that I see in their health and in their fitness, I see shifts starting to happen where, you know, clients start to have the confidence that they're going to go back to school, or they're going to apply for that new job, or they're going to really have that tough conversation with a loved one that maybe really needed to happen. It really translates into bigger changes than just our health and fitness. Yeah, and I think that's the that's the gift of, of, mm. of what you're teaching us in your book, The Elephant in the Gym, your body positive guide to writing your own health and fitness story. My guest has been the author, Jillian Gertzen. To learn more about Jillian and her work, please visit www.superu.ca. On Twitter, that handle is run with Jill, and that's G-I-L-L. On Facebook, Super You Fit. And on Instagram, Jillian Gertzen. And again, that's Jillian with a G. And Gertzen is G. O-E-R-Z-E-N. Thanks, Jillian. Thanks for being with us today. My goodness. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute delight. Thanks for joining us on the show. We'll be back next week. We have flown through another hour of purpose-driven media designed to inspire and delight you, our listeners, to create more joy in your lives and within your communities. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. It simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guest today, Mark Matson and Jillian Gozer, and wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new episode of consciously curated talk radio from the heart. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on Tokinet, iTunes, and SoundCloud. In a complicated world seemingly driven by nonstop negative news, Lisa's mission is to celebrate the upside of life and seek the silver lining of our challenges by transforming them into uplifting growth opportunities for all. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU, RadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.